Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Wednesday at 9 p.m. RPM's about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live on WBAI, a socialist radio show and podcast from members of New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 80,000 members nationwide, and New York City DSA, its biggest chapter. We are run by our 5,500 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm Lisa Shi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm also co-hosting today with Amy Wilson, who also uses she, her pronouns. On Saturday, major news networks called the presidential election for Joe Biden after it became clear he had won the state of Pennsylvania. New Yorkers took to the streets to celebrate the defeat of President Donald Trump as much as to celebrate Biden's victory. New York City DSA had already planned to be in the streets on Saturday for a march to protect the vote. We'll talk with the New York City DSA co-chair Chi Anunwa about Saturday's march, as well as DSA's organizing strategy under a Biden administration. But before that, we'll talk with Ariana Phillips from the Bronx Upper Manhattan branch about DSA's mutual aid work to feed South Bronx community members. The New York Times recently published an interview with Bronx and Queens Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez after some, after centrist Democrats claimed leftist demands such as Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, and defunding the police had caused Democrats to lose races in swing states. We'll talk with Ariana about the necessity of such policies in her South Bronx community and much more. This is our second show at the 9 p.m. hour on Wednesday, and we're so, so grateful to everyone that is tuning in and listening today. And we definitely want to hear from you. So um, we're going to be opening up the phone lines twice during the show, um, about 20 minutes into the show. And again, at the end of the show, you can call in at 212-209-2877 when we open up the phone lines later. But first, the headlines with Simone Norman. The NYPD engaging in violent crackdowns on post-election protests, Mayor, Mayor Bill de Blasio once again declined to criticize the force. On Tuesday, Governor Cuomo issued another executive order on eviction protections. The city put out a brief explainer on how pandemic-related executive orders to date affect New York City tenants. 
Over 60% of applicants to the New York State COVID-19 rent relief program were rejected due to its extremely narrow criteria. The state has canceled January Regents exams due to COVID-19, but students will need to make them up at a later date. A subway train operator is facing suspension after tweeting photos of the homeless and exposing unsafe working conditions for MTA workers. And in election news, the New York City DSA slate members who won primaries in June were all officially elected in their general elections. The Working Families Party appears to have received enough support in New York to remain on the ballot. The Conservative Party was the only other minor party to survive the newly raised vote threshold. While New York was called for Joe Biden early on election night, no absentee or early votes have been counted yet, meaning many races are still in doubt and early maps of voting patterns are based only on the in-person votes. In New York's congressional races, attempts by Democrats to pick up two Republican-held seats in Suffolk County appear to have fallen short, pending the mail-in vote results, while incumbent Democrats Tom Suozzi of Long Island and Max Rose of Staten Island trail their opponents. Some New York State Assembly races also hinge on mail-in votes. The Democrats seem likely to retain their majority in the New York State Senate, but not to reach their hopes of a 42-vote supermajority. They could lose as many as five seats when mail and early votes are counted. This will be important for next year's redistricting fight. Based on the votes counted so far, New York appears to have reached record turnout in the 2020 elections, but it still lags behind the national average. The city is looking into how to improve early voting going forward. With the election of Joe Biden as president, but a divided Congress contingent on the outcome of January's runoff elections in Georgia, desperately needed federal aid for New York is currently in limbo. And finally, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez provided a post-mortem analysis of Joe Biden's presidential win and Democratic House losses. We'll be digging much more into that later in the show. And our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA Electoral Working Group covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethorn.nyc. Hi out there, New York City. This is Amy Wilson, co-hosting Revolutions Per Minute here on Ladies Night in our new time slot, Wednesday at, at 9 p.m., um, and uh, to talk about um, one of our first themes of today's show, Socialism Uptown, we have another comrade with us, Ariadna. Um, Ariadna, uh, welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. We're so glad to have you with us tonight. And um, please uh, tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What's your connection to DSA? And what brought you into socialist organizing? Sure. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Um, so a little bit of background about me. I'm a dual language educator in the South Bronx. Uh, and a lot of my work has just inherently been founded in these notions that everyone deserves dignity, right? Everyone at every level, no matter your heritage, no matter your belief system, no matter your status, in this country, um, everyone deserves inherent dignity. And I think one of the things I've noticed working particularly in the South Bronx and particularly in bilingual and dual language education is that equity and dignity is just not always the case. Um, to give some frame of reference for my background, um, my family uh, on one side is originally from Mexico. And so there's a lot that I've seen even from my childhood and coming up and seeing systems not necessarily provide um, in equitable ways when when folks deserve and should have 
basic needs be met. Uh, there are certainly situations I've lived in my own life that led me towards, I guess, the activism piece in, you know, not only my role as an educator, but my role in the community. And especially as I engaged more and more in collaborating with other organizers and activists, thinking about the undocumented immigrant community, thinking about then forming uh, a mutual aid group uh, that certainly put me in touch with a lot of other socialists, with a lot of other DSA folks. And I've just appreciated the support. I've appreciated the commitment again to, I guess, rallying together for what's needed in the community and caring about dignity, right? And caring about ensuring that folks have their effective needs met, right? And that's just what should be and how it should be. Thank you so much for that. And I want to dig in a little bit more to um, some of that mutual aid work. Um, so there was this four hour line at a food pantry in the South Bronx, uh, clearly showing that the city and the state are not meeting, you know, the food needs of, of your community. Um, can you talk a little bit about how DSA and other comrades have responded to this food insecurity in the South Bronx? Sure. Um you know, there are a lot of folks I want to give a shout out to in that regard. I think that fortunately, thankfully, in a lot of the um, places of heritage of many of our residents in the South Bronx, there's already been um, a sensing community in place from where many of us are originally from, certainly in communities of indigenous heritage in um Black, in uh, Puerto Rican, in a number of different communities. There's been a history and heritage in the South Bronx of organizing, whether we think about the Panthers, whether we think about the Young Lords, whether we think about people that have immigrated in there of Zapotec, um, Mixteco heritages, right? That there's a history of organizing and concepts, you know, across languages of, of mutual benefit, of in Mexico, mutualidades or mutualistas, um, in Oaxaca specifically, the concept of Walawetza, which again goes back to these concepts of mutualized support, right? So, and we have a lot of folks that have come over from home countries, you know, the Susu concept, right? So there's, there's that already existing in a number of communities that are already present in the South Bronx. You have, um, DSA folks that I've met in this work, members of the, um, the Bronx and Upper Manhattan branch that have been engaged in this work. When I first got started as a mutual aid, they were one of the first folks that I even knew in this that were also doing this. I, you know, as a, as a teacher, I had several student families that there was a lot going on that they needed support for. And they were one of the first groups that I found. I had friends in Bushwick Mutual Aid and a friend in the Eastern Bronx who had founded her own mutual aid. Um, but one of the first outreach groups I ever made contact with was actually the Bronx Upper Manhattan Mutual Aid Group. And they were the first ones to jump in and support some of my own student families. So I have a lot of respect, a lot of admiration for folks that I've met through just sort of this network of cooperation between um, mutual aid work, community fridge work, um, folks that have organized, for example, with a number of friends doing mutual aid in the South Bronx, like folks that volunteer with La Morada that I've met that are also uh, connected within DSA and socialist networks. So I've seen it a little bit of everywhere. <laughs> you know, I find folks and I'm like, oh, cool, you're also DSA. So I've just been really appreciative to see that there has been a connective piece of members of the community that are bringing this from right from places that we're all from, from heritage that we're all from, and also people who on 
a theoretical level are putting this into practice, right, in our home communities, which is which is to me very meaningful to see. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate your reference there to the Black Panthers Mutual Aid Program and to the Young Lords, who are such a powerful influence in the history of the South Bronx. And I'm very happy to hear you say that you encounter DSA members in this work. Um, we, we cover mutual aid um, frequently here on, on Revolutions Per Minute. And it, it's just nice to know that um, people are out there in the real, in the real world um, practicing what they preach on our show. That's, that's what we like to hear. So talk to us, if you will, a little bit about um, what it actually takes in the day-to-day to keep these um, community fridges running. Um, what are the various roles that people fulfill, and, and who do you see um, fulfilling those roles? Sure. So I'd say in the mutual aid work, it's, you know, there's been helping with community fridges, and there's also been just like a lot of direct um, delivery of, you know, whatever was needed. So it could be supplies. Uh, like PPE, for example, um, or disinfection supplies. It could be food and groceries. So it really runs the gamut. And I'll say there's there's a lot of collaboration and cooperation from a number of parties. So I've seen a lot of folks that are just in collectives, right? Collectives that have been around for an extended period of time here in the city that have, you know, gotten in touch with farms that have gotten in touch with other forms of like food cooperatives and have been redistributing. Again, the community fridge network, we have friends down in Bushwick and friends in Ridgewood that have shared with us that are amazing uh, community fridges that have gotten in, uh, whether it's produce, whether it's food boxes, and they've been sharing and sharing alike with mutual aid networks and with the community fridges, uh, just volunteers, regular members of community. I know that my particular mutual aid group, it's been really a, a cooperation of people from a lot of different walks of life. Some folks I've known that were, you know, in the education world, some folks I've known in the nonprofit world, some folks I've known, like I said, in some of these autonomous collectives, some folks I've just known because we work in uh, immigration advocacy work and, you know, our organizers in those worlds. So I've, when I tell you, I feel really blessed. I've been blessed to know a lot of people that walk in a lot of different spaces in life, but they have prioritized making sure that something as basic, right, is making sure people are eating, making sure that people have um, supplies to keep themselves safe during a pandemic, right, that that is at the foundation of dignity, along with other concerns, right, like housing security, like, um, medical care access, like advocacy in in legal situations, right? So I'd say the mutual aid work has sort of bridged a lot of those different worlds. And, you know, your Congresswoman, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, has recently been the focus of a lot of media attention because centrist Democrats um, blame her and other more progressive elected officials uh, for Democrats' loss in swing states. And, you know, I've heard her district get mentioned a lot, you know, where you live, where you've been organizing for a very long time. And all I ever really hear is, you know, oh, this is a very blue, safe district. Um, you know, you just mentioned this very um, radical history in the Bronx, um, also the organizing history that so many of the immigrant communities bring to um, this area. 
Could you kind of just respond, you know, since your district has been mentioned so much in the media, just kind of respond to that and also maybe talk a little bit about how things like the Green New Deal um, and Medicare for All are actually so important in your community um, where inequality is also just so stark, which is not something that I hear the mainstream media talk about when they reference, you know, AOC's district where you live. Right. So and, and you know, I definitely want to clarify that, that the the mutual aid work, right, it's it's. It's citywide. It doesn't know borders. It doesn't know political parties or even citizenship, right? Like that's that's the thing is that sometimes when I see things being framed simply as a political tool or something for re-election, I'm like, guys, we have so many people that are part of this work that are they're not able to vote. They're not voters. They're you know they're not citizens, and they absolutely deserve every level of dignity and collaboration in this work and. You know, speaking to what you were mentioning, like, I think to myself, so many of the people that I've met, they're not involved in these worlds of of elections and re-elections. Like, I think about an auntie of mine, Teresa, who she came from Nicaragua and she saw everything before she left Nicaragua as an organizer in her community and getting a school developed in her community in Nicaragua in, you know, the uprisings that occurred between the Samosistas and the Sandinistas. She saw and collected and organized just as a person in community that saw this was meaningful, right? And this became something that happened when she came here and she worked in factory spaces in the United States. So I see her again as a beacon, as an example of this work does not just start and stop because of election cycles or because of political affiliations or how it's going to turn a particular district one way or another. It's always needed. The organizing always has to happen. And I think many of us, particularly that work within sort of immigrant advocacy issues, we're like, okay, we want to see accountability. We want to see that everybody is included in these pictures. And especially when I think about things like the Green New Deal, when I think about Medicare for All, I'm also thinking about the population that are not citizens, right? I'm thinking about we need to have equity and access for medical care because our immigrant population has been devastated by COVID-19 about not necessarily having equitable access to healthcare. I'm, you know, still reeling from seeing my, my student population that has lost immediate family members as a result of not having equitable access to healthcare, right? Or again, the impact on children, the impact um, when they've lost a parent, when they've lost a caregiver because of lack of equitable access. So, you know, again, I think to myself, there's, and then again, environmental justice, right? Um, thinking about the importance of what are we going to do if we're edging closer and closer towards a point of no return with our environment, right? Like just as we've seen this dramatically impact places in Latin America, just as we've seen how this affects immigration patterns, right? This is something we have to take hold of right now. So, you know, I, I see it as all being interconnected, right? That when we care about human dignity, then we care about all of these issues. Yes, uh, very well said. And I, I love the way that you connect the various um, political aspects of your work and, and bring it to a very personal level. You know, you are a teacher in a school, you have students who are affected, you have their families who are affected. And as you say, you know, all of these things have a ripple effect and we we feel it 
um, with each other. So I, I really appreciate um, your analysis, Ariadna. And um, we are going to go ahead and open the phones um, for our WBAI listeners. We're here with a comrade from DSA's Bronx Upper Manhattan Branch, um, who organizes with South Bronx Mutual Aid, among many other um, formations. So if you have a, a question or a constructive comment, um, you can give us a call, 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. This is Amy Lee and Ariadna with Revolutions Per Minute. And um, while we wait for um, people to dial those numbers, um, Ariadna, tell us what people who are listening can do to get involved and support the work um, that you're doing. Sure. Um, you know, I'd say there, there are a host of ways. If you do not live in the Bronx, there are several different mutual aid groups, um, throughout New York City and the surrounding metro area that can use your support. Um, you know, my particular group, South Bronx Mutual Aid, you can find us on Instagram and, you know, there within there, there's a link tree in our bio that if you're interested in volunteering, if you're interested in donating, if you're interested in supporting in a different capacity, right, all of this is appreciated. Uh, it does not have to be in-person volunteering. We definitely need remote volunteers as well to make phone calls, to do check-ins, to share resources. And a huge request would be multilingual folks that are willing to volunteer. Um, a huge portion of the communities that we serve, uh, English may not be their primary language. So I'd say that for me is is a big hope and ask in terms of the volunteer network, um, Spanish speaking, but certainly also folks that speak West African languages, Arabic, indigenous languages, right? Speaking Mixteco, speaking Nahuatl, right? These are all high need languages in the communities that we're serving. Um, and our work is also happening out in the Eastern Bronx as well. And we have a, a significant worker community out here as well that can utilize support. So that's I say one big ask. Um, the second big ask is I also organize with the Undocumented Women's Fund. This fund is linked within my link tree. So again, the Undocumented Women's Fund is another organization citywide a collective where we're trying to make sure that the that the work and the responsibilities that have been taken on, especially by undocumented women that are heads of household, um, right, that we're supporting our women, that we're supporting people that have been literally holding up the fabric of communities by supporting their neighbors, by supporting their extended family and friends and, and comadres, right? This is huge. So um, all of this, all of this is greatly appreciated, needed. And again, our, our phone lines are open. If folks want to call in, that number is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. Um, and, and earlier, um, Ariana, you had mentioned, you know, these these fridges that are helping to serve the need um, when there is this gap right now um, and food insecurity in your community. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how food is sourced for that and what kind of um, food you're looking to give the community? Sure, absolutely. So food gets sourced almost any way we can we can come by it um there are amazing restaurants i mentioned previously la morada la morada is a restaurant in the south bronx the um the family that owns and runs the restaurant has been amazing in mutual aid work in preparing meals constantly and sharing it with the community and sharing it with the network of community fridges, sharing it um, in forms of mutual aid, direct delivery. 
to uh, apartment buildings throughout the Bronx, which is incredible. Uh, there have been food partners, again, with Community Fridges. I want to give a shout out to uh, Phoenix Community Fridge in Ridgewood, uh, Hungry Monk. Uh, Father Mike and the Hungry Monk organization has been monumental in sharing food, 9 million reasons. Um, again, nonprofits have shared what they have. We've had uh, farm co-ops and uh, protestants that have shared with us. So it really comes. And also regular folks, regular folks that with what they had available in their home, they brought it down. So sometimes like I can think of like, Moms in the Bronx, like folks that are just creating and preparing stuff in their home and bringing it to the fridges and sharing it with us. So I know uh, sometimes different electeds. I know AOC has fundraised to be able to support this and has literally given out produce that has been shared within mutual aid networks. So um, also Julia Salazar's team uh, in Brooklyn, there, there are a number, like I said, of, of individuals, leaders, community orgs, collectives, individuals um, that have all been a part of this. I, so I just, I want to give as much as I can equitable shine to all of these folks. Uh, Alliance for Positive Change. I can think of so many wonderful people and wonderful groups that have cared again about this notion that everybody should have food access, right? That's foundational. That is basic. Everyone should have food access. And the, the transport volunteers are the people that have also helped make this happen. And these are regular people right throughout the city that have cared and made this work. Right. So I'm, I'm appreciative of everybody. So wonderful to hear. I uh, try to, I live across the street from one in Bed-Stuy and try to fill it up with some good produce I get from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, from the Green Hill Food Co-op. So shout out to them. Uh, we do have a caller on the line. Caller, you are now live on WBAI. Uh, what is your name and comment or question? Hi, my name's Russell, and I use pronouns he and him. Um, can, we, can we agree that we need to break the stranglehold of neoliberal, neocon Democrats and Republicans on our, our politics? We agree there, right? Hello? Sensitive, yes, yeah. depending on what you're <laughs> about to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's why I'm just asking. We can agree on that. And I'd like to know if our community includes people who are, you know, feel that Bernie was ripped off, stolen twice, and... Now, even though I don't like Trump, I feel that he's been ripped off. And I'm looking at the revolution coming from a different direction than what we expected. Mumia said that the revolution is more likely with Trump in office. And I think that half of this country believes that uh, the election was stolen through fraud, lies, and deceit. And the other side knows this is true, but feels that the ends justify the means. And I'd, I'd like to ask Ariadne, do you see Trump as like a witch, sort of like a scapegoat for all our problems? We've blamed him for a quarter million deaths, for everything, white supremacy, everything that existed in this country long before he came around. So I'd like to know if you think he's like a witch. I'll, I'll listen off here. Thank you very much. Sure. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I think you and I may have very different perceptions of witches. I want to say shout out to witches, shout out to brujas, shout out to curanderas, because that is actually a term that I look at very differently uh, and frame in a different context. Um, but I think I understand what you're saying, right? That as a, maybe a, a, a pinpoint to be able to say, oh, this is the this is the lightning rod. This is the reason why this is where we're going to say this is what's caused the issue um, or maybe provoked the change. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you mean by witch in that sense, sort of a, a place to scapegoat. 
And and so I'd say from my take, uh, you know, sometimes it, it takes a bit of a lightning rod to bring out all of the ugly and and to show truth, right? Like that, it, especially if you've been living in a number of communities of color and a number of immigrant communities, you know, for history in our country, you probably know that white supremacy has been an ongoing issue. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a community outside of New York City. I, I grew up in Florida. And I certainly saw some very, very ugly, very, very direct forms of, of threats and racism growing up, um, given my heritage, given where my mother is from, and like death threats and weapons, unfortunately, from the time I was a kid. So it's not something that I see as necessarily being new. I do think that hopefully it's being as visible as it's been. It's maybe activated people to do more, but it's certainly not something that I want to see continue. Like, I don't want to think of it as a necessary foil to activism or a necessary foil to people taking a stand and doing something. Um, on one end, I can try to see it like a silver, a silver lining, right? That now people are saying, oh, wow, this is really horrible and I need to do something. But I'd like to hope that that's not what it takes to be able to see that ugliness for what it is and to be able to, to take action even at the community level and say, well, I'm going to be a voice for change, even as a grain of sand. My anti-racist work is going to mean making sure that my community is being fed and making sure that I'm advocating for equitable health access, right, uh, and environmental change policies. I can hope. I, I'd like to believe that we don't have to rest on our laurels if there's a change in presidency. I hope that, again, I think this work is vital to continue, um, even with a change in presidency. Obviously, that's my own perspective, right? You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Amy Wilson here with Lee Zishi tonight. We just spoke with Ariadna Phillips about the mutual aid work DSA members are doing in the South Bronx to feed their community members. And I think I catching the vibe of Lee when I say, please come back and talk to us on <laughs> RPM anytime. You were fantastic. Really appreciated your comments and, and we really appreciate your work. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So Ariadna's district is represented by Congresswoman and DSA member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, of course, has been the target of much criticism lately from centrist Democrats who believe the positions she advocates, along with other progressive Democrats, are somehow damaging the Democratic Party's power. Joe Biden was announced as the winner of the presidential primary on Saturday. That day, DSA members, including myself, uh, took to the streets for a coalitional mass march with New York's progressive community. To understand that event and the reasoning behind it, I spoke to our comrade Chi, who was re-elected this year to a second term as the co-chair of New York City DSA. Let's go ahead and roll that clip.
evening, Chi. Thanks so much for being with us here on Revolutions Per Minute. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. And it was really nice to see you in person the other day at our uh, coalitional mass march uh, that we heard a little bit of audio from uh, just now. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, that march, what it was like. Maybe describe the energy, if you can, for those who weren't able to make it out. Yeah, I mean, it was a very celebratory energy. I mean, the march took place very shortly after the election was called with a Trump loss. So it was a very celebratory energy. It kind of felt like the whole city was breathing a big sigh of relief. Um, it was great to see so many people, so many DSA folks out in the streets with, you know, all the red. It was like a great sea of red and all our flags. Um, we also had some of the slate come out. Zoran and Jabari were there, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Yeah, it was kind of, I stepped out of the subway, I think about 30 to 40 minutes after they'd made the official call and everybody was just leaning on their horns. The energy at Columbus Circle was just like completely off the charts. It was, it was uh, probably a once in a lifetime scene that day. Yeah, definitely. I found out um, actually when I was getting ready to leave for the march, I was running a bit late and, you know, I was in my apartment and my roommate told me the news and then I heard um, my street just erupt with joy. There was music blaring everywhere. So, and then like, you know, I was just really giddy on the train right there and I was just saying to myself, well, I guess this march is going to be a party now. So... Yeah, yeah, it was. It definitely had a celebratory feeling, but it wasn't really planned that way, right? It was, uh, it just happened to occur after the Biden victory was announced by the major news outlets, but the planning had been occurring for days before that. And it wasn't planned as a, as a Biden victory or a Trump defeat, you know, celebration type of event per se. So talk to me a little bit about um, the motivation behind the, the event and, and why DSA was involved. I guess another way of asking the question would be to say, you know, were we out there simply celebrating uh, a Biden win or the defeat of Trump? Or do you think there's another reason that DSA was was involved? Yeah, so this march um, is a march that was originally planned by a coalition that DSA is a part of called the Protect the Results Coalition. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a notional coalition that has different um, kind of different mini coalitions in different regions of the country. And so we were part of the NYC coalition and the purpose of the Protect the Results Coalition was to stage multiple actions in the event that Trump tried to rely, Trump, Trump turned to kind of undemocratic maneuvers to try to manipulate the election results or stop the vote count from continuing. And so there was a genuine fear that, you know, um, the Trump administration would try to manipulate the vote count in some way. And so this march was originally a march, you know, to get in the streets and say, you know, Trump, like, we need to count every vote. We need to fight for democracy. We need to, you know, not try to manipulate the outcome. And, yeah, I think it was more of a march against Trump, against, you know, kind of shady things that we thought that he might end up doing um, rather than necessarily a pro-Biden rally. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the energy in the crowd was very much, I think, largely 
a sigh of relief that Trump was soundly defeated, at least in this election. Although obviously, you know, I think Trumpism as a political current is something that's going to continue to be a problem in American politics and American life. But just because he lost this one election doesn't mean that, you know, everything is fixed. Right. Of course, of course. And and some of the things that I heard on the ground, um, I think it was our comrade Robert who was saying that this is about putting Biden on notice. And this is also about letting the Democratic establishment know that, you know, the the left that's been rising in the last four or five years isn't isn't going anywhere. For sure, I think and I think definitely going forward, we need to continue keeping Biden on notice. Um, you know, we can't become complacent just because a new boss is in charge and we need to keep Biden on notice. We need to keep, you know, Congress in notice. Um, especially since it's looking like we're going to have that, like we might have a Republican majority, although that's votes are still being counted. There's still an ele- a couple of special elections coming up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that the message was definitely, you know, kind of um, anti-Trump, but Biden, you're on notice as well. Exactly. Right. As you say, just another new boss. And um, here in the Democratic Socialists, we're not a big fan of bosses in general. We are not. We are not really here for the bosses. We are here for giving power back to the workers, taking it from the bosses, including the bosses and the White House. Yes. Love it. And I think that message was reflected in in the the banners that our comrades were carrying. I saw a banner, Labor for Black Lives. I saw a banner that said, no Proud Boys, welcome here. You know, to your point about Trumpism being a force that we're going to have to continue to oppose. Um, Our comrades from the Defund NYPD campaign were out with one of their great banners. So um, which leads me into my my next question, which is that, you know, that this March came at the end of an incredibly intense week here in New York City, obviously intense all over the the country. But here in New York, we saw multiple instances of NYPD escalation and violence against protesters, which NYPD, of course, is is trying to deny. Um, And this particular event on Saturday, which was also an unpermitted march, was allowed to proceed by NYPD, maybe because of the the timing, maybe because of the political context of the Biden victory having just been announced. Who, who can say for sure? Um, but that's my question to you, um, Chi, is what, what's your read on the protest situation here in general? And, and what do you think this last week has to tell us about next steps forwards for um, DSA's campaigns and our actions? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this week has been marked by a lot of tension around the election. But, you know, in addition to the election, you know, we still have kind of the ongoing tensions around, you know, systemic racism. And, you know, people are have been continuing to hit the streets for various reasons and have been continuing to be victimized by, you know, the NYPD. Like, I know there was a really... Um, some really terrible incidents of police brutality at Stonewall, mm-hmm. I think maybe even the day before mm-hmm. the, the election day march. And so, you know, I think just going forward in the long term, you know, in NYC DSA, we have this campaign to defund the NYPD. And, you know, I know like that campaign has a lot of actions lined up going forward. 
And, you know, I don't think like that work definitely doesn't stop just because the election happened. Um, and I know that they have, in fact, they have an action coming up this Saturday where it's going to be kind of a press conference with different featuring the testimonials of different people who have been arrested or have been subject to police brutality um, as a result of participating in protests. And, you know, I think it's just going to be a space to kind of bear witness to what the NYPD has been doing in the sort of repression of protests that has been happening pretty much throughout the summer and even until now. Yeah, that, that's going to be a powerful event. And I, I think that we're going to be there um, as revolutions per minute to try to um, uplift the voices of the people who've been most affected by police repression and, and sort of underscore that, you know, we're, we have to be in solidarity um, with the people who have been arrested, whether they were out explicitly for a Black Lives Matter protest or uh, the Stonewall, the Trans Liberation March, as you as you mentioned, you know, the, the NYPD doesn't really seem to see the differences uh, between uh, different types of actions. And they've just been applying this very heavy hand of, of state repression in these um, days around the election. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of that event and in the coming weeks and months for um, New York City DSA in general. Well, thanks so much, um, Chi. I won't take up too much of your time. You're very busy as the co-chair of our entire chapter. Um, but I'd love to give you a chance to, to share any final thoughts about um, DSA's response to the election or the, the last week or what's upcoming for, for you and for the organization. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just one thing to keep in mind again is that, you know, we can't get complacent. We got to keep building the left. We got to keep holding, you know, all these people's feet to the fire. You know, we need to hold the Biden administration's feet to the fire. We also need to hold Cuomo's feet to the fire here in New York state. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, with like an incoming centrist presidency, and then we also have in our state, you know, very neoliberal governor, you know, I think a lot of the work that we're doing at NYC DSA to build the left, um, to build a movement that's centered on the working class, like that work has become even more urgent. You know, I think it's become even more urgent that we fight for housing for all, healthcare for all, for a livable climate. You know, we're in November and it's, I think, I think it was 70 degrees today again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the work continues. Um, the task at our task at hand as socialists, you know, continues and does not become less urgent just because Biden is now in power. Yep. Onward. Indeed. Thanks again for, for speaking with me and um, I wish you the best and I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Amy.
you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI. That was an interview with Amy Wilson and New York City DSA co-chair Chi. Um, we are going to open up our phone lines again. Um, and we do have Ariadna still on the line, um, who is our comrade from the Bronx. If you'd like to ask her any questions or talk about your own feelings on election day, um, you know, what were you feeling? You can call in at 212-209-2877. Um, again, that number is 212-209. Two eight seven seven, and actually, Amy, as our listeners call in, I'd kind of like to hear your reflections from Election Day. You know, I heard um, some DSA uh, accounts tweet, you know, like, "Yes, let's celebrate uh, the defeat of a fascist, but let's begin organizing against a neoliberal." Uh, you know, what were you feeling on Saturday out in the streets? Um, this is where I reveal to the Revolutions Per Minute audience that I myself am a not so closet anarchist. So I felt not very much um, uh, on Saturday. Um, I could sense that there was a huge amount of excitement, but really uh, Joe Biden just leaves me so cold. Uh, he's such an establishment figure. He's been a senator for longer than most of DSA's current membership has been alive. Um, he has some really black marks on his political record. Um, and he, I, I just find him to be com completely uninspiring. So it was, it was a little hard for me personally to really get up the, the rah rah, um, on Saturday. But, um, I do want to also add, I was, I was thinking during listening back to that, um, interview with Chi, um, in context of Ariadna's comments earlier in the show. And I was thinking about the way that, um, you know, police, Police violence and NYPD repression is also a public health crisis. Uh, we talked about that quite a lot um, in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, where it was clear that um, NYPD were, you know, unevenly enforcing mask restrictions and social distancing. And that conversation, of course, has continued to evolve. But just thinking about um, the ways that protesters are targeted by um, NYPD, but also many people are targeted by NYPD and by ICE and other um, elements of state repression, just trying to live their lives, just trying to walk down the street, go to their job, or even pick up food from a community fridge like the one that um, our comp or literally just exist um, uh, in the spaces that they should, they should be able to own and, and feel safe in. So um, I'm glad that we were able to get both of those perspectives um, on the show tonight. Yeah, it was it was interesting. On Saturday morning, I had put on this T-shirt that I have um, from this group that is um, has been fighting a frack gas pipeline in Pennsylvania, and it, you know it says "Defend what you love," and wasn't really thinking about it. And you know, as the results came in, and you know, I am from Pennsylvania and have done a lot of organizing there. Um, you know, had this moment. You know, my street in bedside just um, erupted. Um, and it was, you know, a great DJ shout out to the Quincy Street DJ. Um, but, you know, that I looked down at my shirt and was like, oh, yeah, you know, the the state that just won this is now being fracked by Biden. And, you know, as a woman, it was very hard to have to choose between two men who have been accused of of, of sexual assault. So I, you know, had those moments of celebration and I just like cried at, at, at some points. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, a, a very complicated thing. Um, but I, I was very, uh, heartened by the fact that DSA was immediately thinking about, you know, organizing and, and the next steps. Um, cause that's always what gets me out of any kind of depression is, you know, doing, doing the work. Um, and we would love to hear 
from all of our listeners. Um, what were you feeling? What are you most excited to organize against Joe Biden on what issues? Um, the number is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. We would love to hear from you today. Um, Ariana, what was, what was your Saturday like? What were you feeling as, you know, it was announced that Joe Biden is going to be our next president? You know, there's, there's a huge mix of emotions. I think is, as was previously mentioned, there's on one end the sigh of relief. I mean, when you've seen how absolutely ugly and oppressive this administration has been, um, particularly to communities of color, particularly to immigrants, right? Like ICE being utilized like a Gestapo, right? Um, it's terrifying, right? So naturally you think to yourself, well, I don't want to be under any more of this authoritarian regime, right? It's it's awful. I think that, you know, on the flip side, immediately what comes to mind is the accountability measure, right? That, okay, if this if this turns to Biden, then gosh, I hope this isn't where everyone rests on their laurels and says racism is solved. There's no other, we're good, right? Like the, the absolutely incredible degree of organizing that took place to protect the right to vote, to protect the rights of marginalized and oppressed people that were not able to vote, right? That were either because of voter suppression or because they're not citizens or because they're, you know, they've been through the judicial system and they have been denied the right to vote. Like I can think of so many people that I thought, you know, this push for, for fairness in the voting process and, and, you know, to let's try to have a democracy guys, right? Like that, that is huge, right? And to protect that democracy is huge. I think that, you know, so there was a part of me that goes, oh my gosh, all that organizing, all that activism, all the phone calls, all the get out the vote, right? Like that is powerful and saying, hey guys, we're still here. We're active. We're motivated. We're going to hold you accountable, right? The fact that people showed up to vote, the fact that people have been carrying ballots, the fact that people have been you know, working at these poll stations, I need to count the absentee ballots, like all of that absolutely moves me because of the engagement that was involved and the organizing that was involved to even get this to be called right on Saturday in the way that it was. And like I say, on the flip side, there's also the, well, the work's not done. It's literally just sort of resetting to a different starting point, assuming we don't end up in a coup, right? There's, there's that point to be made that it, there's a lot of work to do. And there are a lot of people that are still going to feel disenfranchised, even in a transition to a different administration. So what's the work going to look like to, again, truly build towards equity, truly build towards dignity, um, and not demonize folks that are trying to do that? Because I think that that's also a consideration I have is like, is there going to be more demonization of people that have progressive values that care again? about issues like medical care, you know, Medicare for all, is this going to be something that then tries to push them aside once the election is won? I hope that's not the case. I'm going to be honest, guys, at, you know, during that evening, I went to a meditation. I went to a meditation retreat. I was like, all right, there's work to do. Center in the self, right? I'm going to center in the self. I'm going to go to a meditation retreat and, and we're going to move forward, hopefully from a clear-minded perspective of, of the work that needs to be done moving forward, right? Inward reflection to outward action. 
Yes. Uh, I can tell that you went to a meditation retreat. <laughs> you're giving me you're giving me very calm, very, very calming vibes, which are much needed um, in this time when everything is very inflamed. And I, I think you're right on to point out that there's been a, a lot of left punching. That's kind of one of the themes of our show tonight. The way that AOC is a figurehead for our movement has taken a lot of the, the heat for that. And I think she's um, an incredibly bold spokesperson for a lot of the uh, policies and, and changes that we want to see made. But of course, here on Revolutions Per Minute, we're all about the on the ground organizers like the ones that we're speaking to um, tonight. So um, we've got a couple minutes left in the show. If you would like to call in, um, give us a shout. The number is 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877 here on Revolutions Per Minute, the officially endorsed show of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. And um, I'm curious, um, while we wait, if anybody uh, would like to give us a call, uh, you're a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and how old are the students that you teach? So I have students in the school from 11 to 18. Uh, so six through 12th grade, it, different years. I've taught different grades, uh, pretty much the entire gamut, especially within the dual language program. Mm-hmm. Primarily now I see more middle school students, but I, I guess every year that changes depending on the, uh, the capacities that they need me in because I also teach a lot of different content areas. I, I bet you do. And I, I'm very curious uh, um, about, you know, people of that age, um, middle schoolers, young, young teens. Are you able to talk to them about these types of things at all? Do they have a reaction to the Biden win? And if, if so, what, what are they saying? What are they feeling? So, you know, and I think I should clarify, I teach in the public system. So there are, you know, certain non-starters in terms of what can be and what can't be discussed, but you can always discuss civics. You can always discuss rights. You can always discuss history. And I think that, you know, and you can always discuss technology access and equity, right? So in my own capacities, I teach Spanish, I teach computer science, I teach science, among other things. And I've taught English as a second language um, in the past as well. And so I think what I try to do with my kids is frame it from these capacities of civics, of knowing your rights, of history, of how did we get here, right? What what was the struggle to get us here? How does that work continue? If we want to make things more equitable and access, what does that look like? And especially within the capacity of technology as a tool, what does it mean when we now are taking the reins to have a seat at that table, right? What is it that we're creating for ourselves? So for example, right now, I have students that are developing apps in computer science, and they're framing the app within this context of community-based needs. Uh, And this was also something that we've done in years past. So uh, thinking about not only elections, but just in general, um, the work of public policy, the work of community organizing and advocacy, like what types of tools do we need, even from the time we're young, to be able to (laughs) activate ourselves and have a voice as advocates and do something. And one thing I often try to tell my kids is you don't have to wait until you're an adult to do this work, right? Like you're an expert of what is going on in your community, in your home, in, in the capacities of the heritages and identities that you, that you have. So think about what that means. What tools do you need to help us and others get to a future, hopefully a near future, that is more in line with what should be occurring, right? Instead of waiting for other people to do it, how do we create it for ourselves? 
Yeah. And also, you know, just shout out to all the youth that were a huge part of that organizing that you talked about, especially, you know, black, indigenous um, youth of color who this victory would not have been possible without. Um, and we do have a caller on the line. Caller, we are running out of time, but very quickly, um, we'd love to hear hear your thoughts. You're live now on WBAI. Okay, thanks. Just to continue the dialectic and not to monopolize, it's Russell. And I'd like to tell you, a COVID crisis would be a perfect thing for fascists to implement authoritarianism. I think a lot of us are consumed by false consciousness. A lockdown is bad. It affects marginalized people the most. Look at California. They just voted for Uber to roll back labor laws, and, and $200 million was spent to approve this, and they got people to believe that they'd be helping the Uber drivers. This is false consciousness going on. I think we should all examine our assumptions. Trump isn't a fascist. He's just representative of this country, and we're much better off with him there. Kasich is going to push out everybody like AOC and Bernie. Don't be taken in. Go down to Washington. When we're down there, we're going to overthrow these fascists that are in charge of the Democrat Party. Thank you very much. Thank you, Russell, for your contribution to the discussion. And I do just want to uh, state for the record that um, lockdowns are uncomfortable, but they are to protect people and they are to protect the most marginalized and the most vulnerable who, who sometimes don't have the choice to lock down themselves because they, they have to go out for, for work or to care for family or other obligations. So the more that we who can lock down, do the better we'll be with the pandemic. And uh, that is a position we hold pretty strongly here at Revolutions Per Minute, and we'll continue to restate it um, if we have to. So that being said, um, let's uh, wrap up tonight's show. Ariadna, thank you so much. Uh, you were fabulous. Come back anytime. And if you ever want a hosting gig, you know who to call. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Un fuerte abrazo. Thank you. Yes. And um, thank you, Lee, um, for co-hosting with me tonight. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners and our engineer in the studio, Max. We'll be back next week with more from the Democratic Socialists of America on Wednesday at 9 p.m. We'll see you then.